Uh, we're going to continue our series about Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Grab your Bibles, open them up. Open them up to Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Mark 9, 42 is where we're going to be. And, and just because it, it's been a couple of weeks here to kind of give us some context, Jesus has become wildly popular the first half of, of Mark's gospel. That's chapters 1 through 8, right? We talked about that. Everybody loves what Jesus is talking about, and they all want to follow him and make him the king and all that. And then Peter has this confession of Christ, right? And Jesus says, don't tell anyone what you just said till I fix that, Right? And from that point on, Jesus, from now on, Jesus is thinning out the crowds, okay? He's thinning out all these people that say they want to be Christians and they want to follow him. And he's thinning them out on his way to the cross by clarifying what it means that he's the Christ and what it means to be a Christian, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So that's what Jesus is doing right now, okay? So throughout the Bible, and we've talked about this before, there's two main tools that God uses with people, two main tools that God uses to call us to trust in Him and to keep us trusting Him all the way to the day that we die. He makes real promises and He gives real warnings. That's His two main tools that He uses. And today, Jesus gives those that call themselves Christians a real warning about failing to remove sin from our lives. And he does this because he loves us. He tells us sweet things and he tells us hard things, but he always speaks in, the, in, in, a, in a way of love. It's because he loves us. So with that said, please give your uh, attention to the reading of God's word. Mark 9, 42 through 50. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of heaven with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Thanks, Fred. This is God's word, Crossway. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for who you are. You are the Lord, and you are our only Savior. And we thank you for speaking to us out of your great love for us, things that we need to hear. We need to be reshaped by you. We need our loves, the things we love, to be reordered. And I pray today um, that you would help us see how gorgeous you are, how valuable you really are, and that you would cause us by your spirit and your word to treasure you, to treasure you. 
morning. What is the single most defining quality of salt? I know you stayed up all night thinking of that question, probably lost sleep, right? Um, what, 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 is, what I'm saying is what's really the quintessential essence of salt? Well, it's that it, it's that it tastes salty. I mean, it's not a trick question, right? It's that it tastes salty. Like if I had a bowl of sugar up here and I had a bowl of salt up here, it'd be really difficult for you to tell them apart, for you to tell the difference between the bowl of sugar and the bowl of salt, right? I mean, they both have the same color. Uh, th- their grains would probably be about the same shape. And, and if you picked it up, I mean, they would have the same texture, uh, same color. Uh, they probably, uh, probably have the same weight to it. You felt them in their hand. Uh, both the salt and the sugar, they, they would both pour into a cup of coffee exactly the same way if you were to pour it. Uh, they both would dissolve in a cup of coffee exactly at the same rate. Right? And though descriptive, none of those characteristics are the definitive uh, characteristic of salt, right? What is the salty flavor, the saltiness? If it has all those other qualities, but it doesn't have the taste of saltiness, then it is not salt, regardless of what you call it, regardless of what kind of shaker you put it in, right? It's something else. And you'll know, indis- I would know indisputably after that first sip of coffee, what I put in my coffee, if it was salt or sugar, right? There'd be no debate. There'd be no, like, I don't know, I'm kind of ambivalent about what that might be in there. I'm going to know what's in there because of that definitive quality that I can taste. At the very end of this passage, if you heard it, Jesus, Jesus refers to his disciples as salt. Uh, and, and he says, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Uh, salt in Roman times, Greco-Roman times, it was in really, really high demand. Did you guys know that? It was in high demand because that was the preservative. They didn't have refrigerators, okay, at the time. Um, they didn't have Yeti coolers. They had salt. And that was to preserve your food. In fact, salt was actually so valuable that it was referred to as white gold. White gold. So Jesus asked this question. You need to hear what he's talking about here. Jesus asked the question, if salt loses its saltiness, how will you make it salt again? And the answer that this question implies is, well, you can't. You can't. It's completely lost its value. The white gold is now fool's gold. In fact, in Matthew's version of this teaching of Jesus, Jesus says that it's, a, it's worthless. He says it's worthless, and it's the only thing it's good for is going to be thrown out in the street and, and walked on by people. So in much the same way, if a follower of Jesus loses their most defining quality, they are not a follower of Jesus, regardless of what they might call themselves. Their confession to know Jesus as the Christ is worthless. has no worth for them. And Jesus loves us. He loves us enough to warn us of a real danger. Brothers and sisters, there is a danger for us to believe this simple premise. My confession of Christ is is all that matters. 
not my holiness. That doesn't matter. You know, see, I, I said the sinner's prayer when I was nine years old, and I really meant it at the time. Like I said it twice, just to be sincere. I meant it. I repeated the magic words, and now I have eternal life, regardless of how much my life contradicts that confession. Like Peter, I made the correct confession of Christ. I said all the right, technically right words. Now I got my ticket punched to heaven. I'm saved by God's grace and not by my good works, so I don't need to repent of my sins. I don't need to repent of my sins. And family, that's a dangerous premise for us to believe. Because what we're really saying is, it doesn't matter if I have any noticeable, distinctive qualities of being a Christian. It only matters if I call myself a Christian, if I claim to be a Christian. And Jesus says to us, warning, danger. If salt loses its distinctive quality of saltiness, it's no longer salt, regardless of what you might call that. Calling it salt doesn't have value anymore. And much the same way, if you lose the distinctive quality of being my disciple, then you're not my disciple, no matter what you call yourself. Okay, great. So, so what's that distinctive quality, Jesus? Like, I want to know that. That's what we should be asking when we read this passage. I want to know, what's that quality? And that's the big idea of the message today. The distinctive quality of a true Christian is signs of amputation. The distinctive quality of a true Christian is signs of amputation. Now, I want to be clear here. Jesus is using hyperbole to get his point across. He's, he's making overstatements to get across the seriousness of what he's teaching. And so we don't take these commands literally, but we take them seriously. In fact, the hyperbole is to help us actually take this really seriously. In fact, he says it three times. It's a triad. It's really serious, Jesus adds. Jesus is not talking about you and I physically amputating our body. All right, just so I'm clear, and that's on the recording, okay? Jesus is not talking about physical amputation of our body parts. Rather, he's talking about spiritual amputation of sin from our life. Are you tracking with me? How can you tell that your claim to follow Jesus is real and not just words? Is there any test for that? Is there a way to find that out? Is there any way for your church to find that out? The community of faith. How can you tell that your profession to trust and love Jesus is actually a credible profession? Jesus says, here it is. There are signs that sin has been amputated out of your life. King Jesus gives a call and a warning to all who will come after him and be his followers, to be a disciple. You see why he's getting unpopular the closer he gets to the cross where he's going to suffer? So here's the call. We'll look at the call and the warning each in turn. First, 
Christ's call to amputation means the radical removal of sin from our life. Christ's call to amputation means the radical removal of sin from our life. And so let's look again at the first part, this this first phrasing of this of this divine calling from Jesus in 43, 45, and 47. Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Not reform it. Cut it off. If your foot, that's where, that's where we travel, right? Where we go. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. There's a couple of things that I want to point out here that I think might prove helpful for us. And one is that the word that Jesus uses here for sin, if your hand causes you to sin, that word is skanzalidzo in the Greek. Skanzalidzo. What's that sound like? It's a word that in English where we get the word scandal or scandalize. Right? Now, scandal is something that's wrong, right? But it's not merely wrongdoing. And Jesus is really trying to press home this point to us. A scandal is not merely a wrongdoing, though it is that. A scandal is a type of wrongdoing that invalidates how someone presents themselves publicly. Right? So you're presenting yourself this way to your family, to the general public, to the church of Jesus Christ, to whoever, but there's something you're thinking or there's something that you're doing that invalidates what you're claiming to be and do, right? That's, a, that's the definition of a scandal. And that's why it's so like such a big deal in a community when that happens. Now, the classic example of this is, of course, a husband or a wife that has an affair. They commit an infidelity, right? They claim to love and be committed to one another, forsaking all others till death do we part. And they stand up in front of people, whether it's a small or a big crowd, and they're presenting themselves one way, but they've done something that undermines that. And it so undermines it, it's, that's what's a scandal. Their actions directly invalidate the claim that they made, or when they walk into a room wearing that ring. They're presenting themselves one way, but they're doing something that invalidates that. Infidelity scandalizes the marriage vows. It's not just wrong. Now, the other thing that is worth pointing out here is that the word, this word scandalizo, is actually in the present tense. And that's really helpful for us to understand something, too. It's in the present tense. So that gives it the force of an ongoing or a repeated action or a repeated thought pattern. Okay? It is a habit. It is a pattern. It is just kind of a, a way of life. So in other words, this is not like some sin that we're like struggling with, and sometimes we have victory over it, and sometimes we're like, no, I, I failed. That's not what Jesus is talking about. You understand what I'm saying? This is an ongoing, habitual pattern. This is any persistent or unaddressed idolatry in our life 
that we make excuses for. When someone brings it up, we got a little excuse for it. Or we make accommodation for it. I only do that on Thursday. Which is better than people that do that the rest of their life. Right? We make allowances and accommodations for it. The presence of those actions, and I really want to press this home too, or attitudes. Or attitudes. The presence of these actions or attitudes in our life scandalizes the name of Christ that we bear and claim to know and follow. It's, it's literally, it's like it is taking the name of the Lord in vain with our life. It's not just saying GD. That's taking the name of the Lord in vain, and it's serious. Jesus says here, this is how we're supposed to deal with that kind of, with scandalizo. Here's how we deal with sins that are persistent in our life. Here's how we deal de- with these deeply embedded idols that we love as much as Jesus. They're going to share a shelf with Jesus in our life. Okay? Here's how we deal with them. We get radical about removing them from our life. We take a hammer and we smash them to powder. Those idols. That's what Jesus is saying. We do not make peace treaties with these sins. We make war with them. Does that make sense? I'm trying to get across the thrust of what Christ is saying here. We don't tinker around the edges. We don't say, I'll get to that on Saturday. This is priority one now. And I'll take, I'll remove whatever I got to remove my schedule to smash this thing to powder. That's what Jesus is saying. We cut them off. We cut them out. We surgically remove sin from our life wherever we find it. And here's the thing. These are often things that we tend to think are really, really valuable. I mean, there's habits and patterns and attitudes. Like they served us for a time, right? They served us. They kept us through like really traumatic experiences. And that's how I coped and dealt with that. That they helped us when things were tossed up and chaotic in our life. They, maybe they helped us a little bit. And like, that's who I am and that's what got me through. And that's really hard to get rid of that. That's difficult. These are things that we think we cannot live without, like our hands and our feet and one of our eyes. How am I going to get through life without that? In our mind, that's how important these things are. I mean, by the way, that's how you can tell if you've made something more valuable than Jesus. You don't know what would happen to you if you gave it up. Like, you can't even imagine that kind of a life. It's so part of your personality, of of your identity, or your vision of what the good life is that you wouldn't know who you were without that. So brothers and sisters, let me ask, what what are your scandalizo sins right now? Well, that's kind of hard to find out, isn't it, on our own. Jesus has given us some help here. Eyes, hands, feet. What what do your hands say they are? Because they're saying something. 
your life is either telling the truth about God or it is bearing false witness about God. So what's your life saying? What are your hands saying? What are your feet saying that they are? And say, hey, you know what? I follow Jesus. I'm a disciple. But you know what? It is okay for me to drink a little bit too much. My hand can reach out and grab another beer or two. And that's okay. And Jesus is okay with that. He doesn't mind. You know, it's, it's okay if I look at a little porn when I'm lonely. Because it's only when I'm lonely or stressed. And it's okay. It's not a problem. You know, it's okay for me to blow up when somebody offends me or wrongs me. Because they wrong me. And that's okay. And God's okay with that. You know, I follow Jesus, and it is okay for me to be cynical. Because that's just who I am and how my family is. And I'm not going to be anybody's sucker. So I can make allowance for that. I follow Jesus and it's okay for me to be stubborn because, you know, that is just my way. And that's what's helped me survive this long. You know, I follow Jesus. It's okay for me to be bitter about the state of the world right now. That is okay. It's okay for me to be bitter about church. And I'm okay and I'm safe. I'm safe. Jesus says, if it is causing you to scandalize the name of Jesus, the profession that you know and follow the Christ, you must do whatever it takes to cut it out of your life. And you need to do it today. Today is the day of salvation. Let him who has ears hear what the Lord has to say. Doesn't matter how much you like it. Doesn't matter how much it might hurt to remove it or how much it might cost to remove it. Doesn't matter how much how long it's been a part of your life or how that served you well. You need to cut it off and cut it out. You need to take radical steps. And stop tinkering around the edges. It's that serious, Jesus says, because it is invalidating your claim to be a disciple of Christ and it is hindering your path towards eternal life. It's not an ally, it's an enemy. And it's fooled you and me. That's why sin is deceptive, right? Well, spiritual amputation is going to look different for each of us, okay? There's this, doing this amputation thing, there's not like a one-size-fits-all. And so that might mean that, that might mean for you that you get rid of your iPhone. And you get a flip phone that just takes calls and texts. Because the stuff you're doing with your phone, you're out of control, and it's scandalizing the name of Christ. And it's causing the little ones to stumble and fall that are watching you. That's verse 42, right? And so that might be what it's like for you. But for someone else, it might mean that you change your phone number so that certain people don't have access to you anymore. They don't get direct access to you or an email. 
They don't have direct access to you anymore. Or it might mean that you don't go to certain places. You just can't do that anymore. Or it might mean that you don't participate in, in certain toxic conversations anymore. Because it just so corrupts you. Or, you know what? Hang on, hang on. It might mean you delete your social media accounts. I know that sounds radical. You can't, you can't imagine doing that, right? You're literally hearing me, and you're like, I, I couldn't imagine doing that. I'll never do that. It's too radical, right? Isn't that the point? It might mean for some of you deleting your social media accounts because you can't stop yourself from reading cynical posts or posting things yourself that scandalize the name of Jesus to everyone else that's watching that. Jesus, come on, aren't you being a little extreme? <laughs> I mean, this is a little over the top. I mean, I, I, you're telling me I got to amputate this stuff out of my life? I got to amputate this out of my life? Come on. I'm going to look like I'm going through life without a hand. Like, the very thought of you not having an iPhone or smartphone is like, I, I, that's my hand. How do I go through life without that? You did it before. Right? How do I do that? If I'm going to really listen to what you have to say. Can I, can I minister to that concern real quick? First of all, what Jesus is commanding is something that you and I already do right now. Physically and socially. You ready for this? You're already doing it. If your kidney becomes cancerous, what do you do? Do you lobby to keep it? You put up a fight to keep it? No, you go to the doctor, right? You go to the doctor and you have the doctor cut it out so that you might live. So that you might live. Even though it's going to hurt, even though it's going to leave a mark, and yeah, even though you're going to have to change the diet now. For the, from that point on, some things are going to have to be different. <laughs> you're saying, I'll do it. I'll amputate that part of my body. Why? Because the kidney, which once served you, is now getting in your way of life. And so it gets cut out. And we'll literally, literally pay people to do that. And thank them. Right? We're already doing this right now, guys. We do this socially, don't we? We amputate people from our conversations, don't we? We amputate them from our Twitter feed, from our email list, from our family gatherings and family dinners, don't we? Like a drop of a hat, we'll do it. We block, mute, delete. What, what are we doing when we do all that? What are we doing? We're cutting them out of our life. We're cutting them out of our life. I don't want to see that anymore. That's what we're doing. Guys, we're already willing to amputate anything that we believe is getting between us and the good life. 
that Jesus says to you and to me that we're to take all that energy that we're using against others and use it on ourselves. If you're really my disciple, that's what he says. Take all that energy you use on other people and point it right here, right here on ourselves. Get that radical about removing sin, about removing idolatry from your life because it really is blocking your inheritance. It is preventing that. And that's the warning from Jesus that we need to heed from him. A failure to amputate sin results in us being cut off. A failure to amputate sin results in being cut off. There's consequences. Let's look at the text again, the second part of this calling from Jesus. 43, he says, for it is better. So before we read anything else, before we go anything at all any further on this, Jesus says it is better. You need to know Jesus wants better for you than you do. Jesus wants better for you than you do. He only wants good, and he always wants good for you. So whatever comes after the better, I I just want you to hear that first, right, from Jesus. For it is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. It is better for you to enter the kingdom with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. The distinguishing mark of a Christian is that they have ta- are taking real steps to cut sin out of their life. There are signs of spiritual amputation, signs of this removal in their speech or in their home or in their relationships or in their prayers. And Jesus says, this is the good life. Jesus says, it is better. It is better for you. It's better for us to cut off things that cause us to scandalize the name of Jesus than to go to hell in one piece. Jesus is warning you and me about false security, about a false sense of assurance here. You know, my claim to follow Jesus left my life completely intact and unaltered. Woohoo! I'm winning. His grace in my life didn't alter anything of significance. It didn't upset anything that I value. It didn't offend me and what I value at all. I didn't suffer any real loss. His grace added, but it didn't subtract anything from my life. I claim to know and love Jesus, and I got to keep everything that was precious to me. What a testimony. Jesus warns us against this kind of saltless thinking. If you are not cutting sin out of your life, you will be cut out of the kingdom by the seduction of the very sins that you don't want to cut out of your life. You're showing by your actions that you don't really want his gift of grace. 
You're showing through your lack of spiritual amputation that you actually want something more than you want eternal life with Jesus Christ forever and ever. Most of us think the doc- about the doctrine of hell as something that only non-Christians need to hear about. And I made a staggering discover- discovery last week by New Testament scholar Alan Cole. This is a really interesting quote. He says, quote, we never hear Jesus expounding this talk- topic to publicans and sinners. Although John the Baptist may have struck this note widely. <laughs> yeah, that's an understatement. Listen to this. Jesus therefore spoke of hell to professed saints and of heaven to acknowledged sinners, unlike many other preachers. Let me read that quote again. Jesus therefore spoke of hell to professed saints and of heaven to acknowledged sinners. Isn't that amazing? It is to profess disciples bearing the name that Jesus warned of the reality of hell and being cut off from the presence of the Lord. Wow. Let that scramble your categories a little bit. See, here's what Jesus is doing. Here's the choice that Jesus is setting before each and every one of us today. He says, you can cling to your habitual sins and your favorite idols, or you can cut them out and you can cling to me as your treasure either that's a treasure or you can cling to me as your treasure you can trust that I have something better for you but you cannot do both and by the way this is exactly the conclusion that the prophet Jonah came to where of all places he is suffering in the dark stinky belly of a fish right because of his cultural idols that he didn't want to give up. That he loved more than God. Look what Jonah the prophet says. Jonah 2.8. This is, this is the, in, the, in the midst of the fish, mind you. He comes to this conclusion, this realization. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. They turn their back on the steadfast love of the Lord. Jesus uses the word forfeit, I think, a few weeks earlier, right? What profits a man to gain the world and forfeit his soul? That's the choice. That's the choice. Jonah says that those who cling to their favorite sins forfeit the grace of, of the steadfast love of the Lord, the eternal, of eternal life. Jesus says the same thing, but just in the negative. Those who refuse to amputate, those who don't want to radically remove their favorite sins, they forfeit the grace of eternal life. They're showing that they don't really want it. Maybe never did. Jesus puts it this way in Luke 16, 13, just in different wording. He says, no servant can serve two masters, for he will either, at the end of the day, when all boils down, he's going to hate one and he'll love the other. Or he'll be devoted to one and he'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You and I can claim to be a Christian all day long, but if we refuse to get serious about amputating the attitudes or behaviors that scandalize his holy precious name, we will be cut off. Either you can cut sin out of your life or sin will cut you out of life. Because it's like crouching at your door 
to quote God in Genesis. Right? Cain and Abel. It's not neutral. It's not playing around. It's playing for keeps. Brothers and sisters, I actually believe this is a real warning from Jesus. I hope you do too. So let's apply a few diagnostic questions to see if some things maybe can kind of come to light for each of us, okay? Whose sin makes you more angry? Your sin or the sin of a politician's? What, what sin, whose sin makes you more outraged and angry? Your sin or that person that disagrees with you? Next diagnostic question. When was the last time that you spoke humbly with someone about your sin or idol? Not someone else's. Next question. When was the last time that you felt a hatred toward your own bitterness? When was the last time you wept tears over your own smugness or self-righteousness and how that is discrediting the gospel you claim to know and believe? Can you name right now something that needs to be cut out of your life, family? Well, so how do we do this? Maybe God is bringing things to light, but how do, how do I do this spiritual amputation now that I see these things? Well, you got to call a doctor. <laughs> you got to call the spiritual doctor, the great physician, to do this spiritual amputation. Right? When it comes to habitual scandalizing idols, our heart needs to be cut by the one that knows our heart the best. You hand him the saw. You say, you cut me. You love me the most and you know what's best for me. You know what is better. You do this. Jesus did all the cutting for us, brothers and sisters. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus knew that you and I are too weak. We're too weak to cut off habitual sin and favorite idols that we love. We can't do that. We want to sometimes, but we come, we come to the table Prop the leg up, and we, we can't do it ourselves, right? And he knows that about you and me. He knows our frame. He knows our weaknesses. He knew that our idols, that they, they make these promises that are so sweet, we cannot resist their promises. He knew, he knew that sin has us under its deceptive spell. And so Jesus cut it off for us in, get this, his own body. Literally, in his own physical body, right? He cut it off in his own body so that we could have the power now to cut it out of our life. Look at this, Colossians 3, 3, 5 through 6. For you have died, 
For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. You have died, so put to death what's sinful in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Sounds a lot like Jesus here. Listen, here's the good news. Jesus broke the power of sin over us by being cut off from all of life himself on the cross. Jesus was thrown into the anguish of hell, and he lost far more than a hand or a foot or an eye. He lost his entire life. Why? So that sin would no longer have power over you or over me. This is how much he loves you and me. And it's the power of his great love that enables us to amputate our idols. When you hear about what he did for you, you want to say, okay, Lord, no one's loved me like that. No one's done that for me. Listen, listen, Jesus is not telling you to do anything that he has not already done for you at a supremely greater level. Does that make sense? This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is the power of the salvation for all who hear and believe it. The good news is that a power stronger than sin is available to you right now. Right now. The very power that propelled Jesus to Jerusalem and the cross, the very power that raised Christ from the dead, the very power that defeated sin is promised to you through God's own spirit. It's the power of Christ's love. So what? So ask your doctor for help. So ask your doctor for help. Ask him. Give it to me straight, doc. (laughs) What's the prognosis? Give it to me straight, Jesus. Be honest with me. Be honest about what I need to cut out and cut off. Ask Him to fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ and for Him to prescribe to you His wonderful, soothing, medicinal promises. And then, cut sin and live. And live. I love you, and Jesus loves you too. Let's pray. Oh, holy Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for how you were cut off for our sins. Not a finger or a hand or a toe, but your whole entire life. You spared none of it. You held nothing back from us out of your great immense love for us so that we might live. So Jesus, I pray that these words would go deep into our heart. I pray that you would diagnose each and every one of us. What is it that is scandalizing your name? And help us get radical about removing it. You want us to live. You want us to live. And so help us make those cuts and those amputations to our idols. And then bring your love and your promises and keep bomb on it. Because you have something better for us.
Help us believe it by faith. In Jesus' good name, amen.